This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're continuing our yarn with Jim Larkin. You may remember Jim from our previous episode, when we chatted to him about the importance of mentors, his passion for building healthy soil and productive pastures, and the importance of timely control activities in tackling blue heliotrope on farm. In today's episode, Jim shares more about his love for Clarefield and how managing his natural assets and controlling pest species are vital to improving his on-farm biodiversity. Jim discusses how the simple process of applying for funding through the Biodiversity on Farm project enabled him to reach his goals for improved management and habitat protection on Clarefield. You'll also hear how Jim is a committed and valued community member who is heavily involved in fostering the next generation of farmers through the Binaway Junior Judges Program, which aims to encourage school students to pursue a career in agriculture. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Officer Callan Thompson continued this yarn with Jim at the kitchen table at Yulba, Jim's home block. So Jim, you were recently involved in a biodiversity on farm project through Local Land Services. Can you tell me about your involvement in that project? I think it just came up as an email. Clarefield's a thousand hectares basically. In that particular paddock, there's 240 hectares I think it is in total with about 50 hectares of, of cleared country in the middle that's console lovegrass has been for probably 30-odd years. So timber either side of it. It's something that we often wanted to do because our normal system for that paddock was that we would we'd join our heifers in, say, September on a six-week join. So they'd be, you know, mid-October, you'd pull the bulls out, whatever the deal was at the time. And then we'd often put the heifers in there and they'd have the summer there. So, like in a in a reasonable summer, they'd just be there all the time, and they'd you know poke through the timber and whatever else. But we had one water point for that whole paddock, so you could imagine like in a good summer, down near the troughs, just bare as bare. Yeah. The other end, they haven't even touched it. They, they would have walked up there, but they're not like you can't manage it. Yeah. So yeah, the opportunity arose. Like we saw that biodiversity on farm. We thought about fencing ourselves. Obviously, it just didn't really fit into our into our budget at the time. But we saw the opportunity with that biodiversity on farm to do that so it involved four kilometers of fencing to basically fence that grazing country out now that 240 hectares is in three paddocks basically you've got the 50 hectares in the middle which is grazing country and then you've got timber either side of it so from a farming point of view it gave us the opportunity to utilize and manage our pasture a lot better so the biodiversity on farm project allowed us to do that four kilometers of fencing which after the three years, we can selectively graze it to manage it for fire, etc. But obviously not set stock it. Yeah. And it's a 10-year project. So like, you know, you've got your country locked up for a long time. But as you know in ag, 10 years slips away pretty quickly <laughs> and we'll get to use it. And so in addition to that, Grant paid for all the fencing materials. And then we've, since then, we've gone and done another 400 metres of fencing, I think, which is basically split that 50 hectares in half, put a tank in a trough, from an agricultural point of view, you've turned it into a much more efficient system for grazing management. Yeah. But you've also 
allowed that native veg to be locked up, allowed a bit of recovery after three pretty solid years. Like we had a, a huge amount of, you know, big old trees die in that time. Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, new growth there that, as you know, cattle don't let anything go. Yeah. It's got that environmental aspect where you, you let in a bit of regen, you, you know, giving the potential for some endangered species to have somewhere that's yep. accessible to them. And you've also improved your agricultural business at the same time. So it's going to be brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And those, I guess those older stands of timber are so important due to the, the hollows and the fallen timber and everything that goes along with them that's, they're so good for, for habitat. Like planting trees is great, but it takes so long. Like yeah. It's just, needed. I think the saying's the best time to plant a tree was 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. Yeah, and, and the second best times today. Today, yeah. so those, yeah, you, it just takes so long for those hollows. So if you can look after those existing timbered areas, it's it's really yeah. Important and I habitat. mean, you walk through there, and yeah, there's a lot of fallen timber, a huge amount of pine trees that have died in the drought. Which I think, from my personal perspective, I don't know about everyone's, but that's actually a good thing. I yeah. think because now we've got a lot of other stuff coming up through. There's a lot of native grasses in there which we've never seen to the extent that we're seeing now yeah and i think where those pine trees were really thick they weren't you know they've just dominated that yeah that space light and now you've got native grasses growing in amongst them which is phenomenal so and it's like where that timber is on clearfield it's in a pretty unique position so northwestern corner of that if you're only about three kilometers from the nature reserve as the crow flies uh, from the binaway nature reserve and then just north of it, there's 300 hectares of privately owned country that's yeah not really used. And on the yep. western side, there's another probably 240 hectares. So from a native species point of view, it gives, you know, a like region, a, a bit of yeah, a corridor, corridor to move. To run yeah, through. yeah, that's right. It's not an exclusion fence. Kangaroos will still go through it for sure, but they come to a boundary, you know, if there's grass in the timber, there's, you know, I'm sure in a dry time, we'll still get hit pretty hard, but, yep. you know, hopefully allowing both systems to work together a bit more than that has in the past. Whereas in the past, like we, we saw that in 2019, we had a hundred mils of rain in March. Yeah. We watched the console get up, you know, probably a hundred mil high or something like that. And we thought, oh, we'll let it go because that's such a doing and we should have stocked it because we just got overrun with kangaroos in yeah. that time. So both systems can work in together and we both get a bit of a win out of it, which is good. Well, as you'd know, Callan, and we know from applying for grants for showgrounds and stuff, like some of them are pretty detailed and yep. fair bit of hard work. And that was a very simple system, you know, that they'll allow us to organise to apply for the grant and to the whole procedure around it. So highly recommended to, you know, any other farmers that see something where they might be able to fit in. And in that biodiversity on farm, we could have been planting a tree corridor right across our place or, yep. you know, whatever. There was plenty of options there yep. to, to do that sort of work. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're quite open to fit in with people's existing plans. And I mean, obviously not everything's going to fit in, but when we did look at doing it, there was, yeah, there was a, two or three things we potentially could have done there. Maybe, you know, might be fencing out a creek line that, yeah. There's, there's all sorts of different ways that it could have been done, so, yeah. yeah, which is good. Yeah, I think often farmers get a bad rap about how we manage our environment from often from people who probably coming on farms and seeing the good work farmers do, but I don't often hear farmers, and I know on my own place we, we never take people to our oat crop to go and have a picnic when we have visitors. No, we always no, take that's them right. to the, the nice bit of timber that's, yeah. that's got biodiversity and, and you can see 
kangaroos or wallabies. That's or, right. Or yeah. whatever's going on in there. Um, yeah, you and I will go and look at the oak crop, but you know, yeah, if yeah. we're taking someone else, and, and that's right. Like, you know, one of John's nephews comes up a bit and stays, and yeah, they, they can't get enough of that that area. Like they'll they'll go for a walk there every morning, and you know, and the kids will come back and say, "Oh, we saw this, or we saw that, or we saw those tracks." Or yeah, farmers definitely do get a. In some cases, it's it's a deserved bad rap, but you know, a lot of us are trying to improve the whole system so that we can keep doing what we want to do as well as maintaining that biodiversity. You would have seen it on Clarefield today. Like we've planted quite a few trees for shade and that for cattle because, you know, in a lot of farms, those old trees are, you know, in another 10 or 15 years, they're not going to be there. Like we'll also have that trouble. Like we've got paddocks, you know, we should have planted trees 20 years ago because we're going to, you know, not have as much shade sheltering them as we would like. So, yeah. yeah. Pigs seem to have taken off this year. We just set up a camera trap. They've been a bit of an issue for you. You've done a bit of baiting and trapping, Jim? Oh, in the last 10 years, probably tried 1080 twice on Clarefield. No success with it. That's not putting people off from 1080. Like it's just unique to there. At some point, those pigs must have had a, a non-lethal dose. Yeah. Because in both cases, we've had them taking, you know, 120 or 30 kilos of grain a night for a couple of weeks. And we thought, you know we'll have a good win here and then you put the 1080 grain out and they just walk away from it. Yeah, we'd done that. We'd fed them for two weeks. The 1080 treated grain out, didn't get a win at all, was pretty frustrated by it. And so then we organised a couple of traps and whatever, put some fresh grain out and they were straight back onto it. So they obviously knew. And then in the drought, it was just purely out of frustration. We had a lot of pig because we were basically had our cattle lot fed, like just trying to maintain ground cover everywhere else. And out of frustration, we had another go at 1080 because we were just getting a lot of pigs coming into those areas. And they did the same thing. So yeah, we've just been trapping a lot. Up at the other block, we're just currently free feeding them. And we we're going to give 1080 another go there because... We, we haven't used 1080 up there, so we're hoping that they don't know the system and yep. we can get a result there. Yeah, and they've just, yeah, only last night took 120 kilos of grain, so the next few days we'll have another go at that. But, yeah, we are trapping a lot of pigs, but Clarefield in particular, they were, if you go back 20 years ago, like we might have seen them come into a creek line once every two or three years and then they'd disappear and we wouldn't see them again. And probably in the last 10 or 12 years, they're just a constant problem. So we, yeah, we've got a trap, not all year, every year, but we are trying to trap them every year. Uh, there was a group of us meet with Luke Milson from LLS who does that sort of work. And like, yeah, figure that stunned me was that, you know, out of our current population, we've got to be pulling 70% out to maintain that population. So, which is massive. And you can see why they get out of hand so quickly because there's, you know, a lot of people that aren't doing anything with them and, and, you know, there's not many species where you pull 70% out and they survive. Most of their, they become endangered, don't they? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Hopefully we get a win with a 1080 here in the next few days and um, yep. constantly trapping. And, and yeah, the, the most recent advice is like I, I think for a lot of people they might put in the past, might have put grain out for two or three days and then gone, oh, let's just set a trap. And whereas, you know, now the advice is like you need to be feeding them for probably two to three weeks yeah, ideally, yeah, ideally three weeks yeah. to make sure that you're dragging everything in, not just not just a handful of them. You know, it's like with cattle or anything. There's you got shy feeders, whatever else, or you got pigs that are wary of, you know, traps or yeah. whatever the system may be. But yeah, but yeah, I think it's something we all need to be working pretty hard on. That's yeah. for sure. 
I guess there's the on-farm issues of eating pasture and potential for disease spread and yeah. things like that. But then when you look at some of that country that you've got locked up, that's timbered country, they're just so good at being able to rip logs apart and tip logs over and get into lizards and small mammals and that's they can right. do so much damage, possibly even more than a fox yeah. or cat can. Yeah, I think so. And and it's a space that you don't see them. So if you're not controlling them in your more open grazing country where they're coming onto your forage crops or onto your grain crops or whatever, you know, imagine how much extra damage they're doing in those biodiversity areas. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, for sure. I know you do a lot of work in the community, so you're very heavily involved in the local show committee and you guys have done some really good work on the, the showground getting getting infrastructure grants and making it a better option for doing horse sports and things like that. You're running a, a fair bit of area and I, I know you're also a pretty keen runner and, yeah, I don't think I've seen so many push bikes at a, at a house that I turned out today. You've got, got a lot going on with, with work and family and, and community. What drives you? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. The running and cycling, uh, I haven't been doing enough of either lately, mate, to be honest, <laughs> but the cycling side of it, the biking side of it, actually Jack, who's my son, who's 17, he probably got me into that. Like when he was a young kid, he loved it. So, you know, of an afternoon we'd go for a ride or whatever. And he's actually, yeah, he lives and breathes it, which is great. He, Whenever we get a chance, he goes and races mountain bikes, so that's good. Yeah, the running side of it, I don't know, just sort of fell into that a little bit, probably mid-30s, just decided I needed to be doing something else. <laughs> yeah, for me, it gives me a bit of time to think, I think. You just yep. get out on your own and think about what you should have been doing today or haven't done or yep. are going to do. That works well. From the ag side, yeah, we probably... we. We definitely work too much. But I think it's just that we're passionate about what we do and we've always got something, you know, something that we're trying to achieve. It's exciting times for me. Like, well, John was, yeah, well, he was a great mentor to, to me for, you know, he was super passionate about ag, worked tremendously hard. Like that was his, as we said before, that was his life's work. So I yeah. guess a bit of that's rubbed off. But we, you know, we just were constantly looking for, you know, things that we could do a little bit better. Like with this, you know, we've got heaps of stuff we could be doing better than we're doing now too. But, you know, just looking for little improvements, little ways to, to make the system better. And it's changed so much, like in the time I've been there. Like we, we never used to do any hay production. We do quite a bit of that for our own use. We sell a little bit. You know, we run AI programs. We never used to do that. We do, yeah, so we've got a lot of things that we... Yeah, have tried for various reasons and we think make our system better than it was. So from, yeah, from the ag point of view, just driven by improving what we're doing, improving what we've got. You know, we really enjoy our cattle. We really enjoy, not so much when you're feeding cows and calves, but <laughs> we really enjoy, like we're not far off heifers calving again now. Um, yeah. A lot of people dread that. I actually enjoy seeing calves on the ground that we're tagging and that sort of thing like that. Yeah, yeah. that's a bit of a buzz for us, so... There's plenty of times when that's not going well and it's not so much fun. But yeah, I've had some involvement with the showground since I was a little kid and then sort of probably in my 20s wasn't involved in it so much and then came back to it a bit. A local teacher came to one of our meetings and suggested running a Young Judges Day. Well, at that stage it was junior judging now called Young Judges. The question was raised at the meeting, who wants to be involved? And I just, yep, straight away put my hand up and said, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Because I just remember as a kid and you would have been the same, like, 
you know, I went to school in Kerner and we were really fortunate to have fantastic ag teachers that took us to shows in Sydney and and you learnt, you know, a huge amount about animals, about handling them, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And also just to get like there's so many kids that don't have the privilege that we had with those ag teachers and, you know, like my son's growing up in that farming system. He really enjoys it, which is great, but there's a lot of kids that don't get that opportunity so if you can put on a day like that where you can show them the diversity of what agriculture has to offer which is just phenomenal isn't it when you start thinking about how many different jobs you can have in ag like we've always worked on the ground floor of the industry like on farm but you know like yourself you can be an agronomist you can be you know a researcher for new varieties it's just endless what you can do in the ag system and to get to encourage kids to look at that as a potential career path because there's no doubt we need more people that are passionate about the ag industry. That's what probably got me really excited with the whole show thing and then then I was offered the job of being treasurer and then it's just snowballed from there, mate. So <laughs> it's gone from being something you did once a year to keeping you, yeah, quite busy through the year. But, we've, yeah, we've been lucky. We've, we've got some amazing grants that have allowed us to to do some phenomenal work up there. We've still got heaps more that we're trying to achieve. And at the moment, we've got a tremendous group of people that are just, that just say yes, that are driven by, you know, seeing their community improve, like having infrastructure improved in their community to make it a better place, not only for them and their kids, but to attract people from outside the Shire or within the wider Shire to come to Binaway and enjoy the day whether it's showtime or it's, you know, a pony club day for like we've got Coonabarabran Pony Club coming down in, uh, I think it's June, running a rally day down here, which is, you know, that's great. Yeah. You know, team penning, cow horse, whatever it may be. So we just have a phenomenal group of people that just say, yep, how can we help? What can we do? How can we make it happen? And that, yeah, it's a pretty great space to work in when you've got that like because that just – when you're having a tough day and you're going, why, why are we doing all this? Someone else just comes along and goes, yep, let's do this, this and this and just gets you back remembering why you signed up for it in the first place. So, yeah. yeah. No, we, we're super lucky at the moment. So, it's good. I'm in the Coonabarabran Show yeah. Committee and I know we often, yeah, we often look across across the river at Binaway and go, yeah, how can we, how can we get that much enthusiasm back into our committee and, and our community because, yeah, what you guys are doing here has been pretty amazing over the last couple of years. Yeah, we, we saw, yeah, it's it has been been really good. I think all those things come in waves a bit too. Like, you know, I don't know what the time frame is exactly, but, you know, there was probably a time when in the last 20 years when it been away show was on the edge of folding maybe and then you just get, you know, if, well, you get a few people that have been there all the time like our you know, President Harry Powell, like he's been involved with the show for probably 40 years. Yeah. You know, so he's been there, but then you get a, a bit of new blood come in that's just got that extra bit of drive and an extra bit of passion. Not that Harry, you know, he has all that as well, but it just helps push the whole system along. And, you know, every community has that, doesn't it? Where they, an organisation will be going really well and then, then it might go through a bit of a tough time. And then, uh, and I think, yeah, for a lot of us, like it's, you know, we, we've done a, a huge amount of work there in the last three years, but, 
you know, there's been a lot of fun times in amongst it too where you just – and particularly through the drought. Like I, for a lot of us, it was a bit of an out. Like yeah. it was – we'd say, oh, we're going to do a work and be on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day it was. We'd make it a 9 o'clock kickoff because we knew everyone was feeding cattle and whatever. And we'd always, you know, make sure we put on morning tea and lunch and you'd go and do a bit of work and have a yarn and, you know, yeah, it might be somewhere where you picked up an idea or you got a few things off your chest or whatever it was. Yeah, but it was yeah. just a, I think it was a good thing for the for quite a few of us in the community at that time where, you know, for everyone, everyone was in a pretty tough time yeah. with their, you know, livestock and farming enterprises. So Yeah. And as, as you said, like I've come across for the... Uh, junior judges or the young judges yeah yeah for the last few years and it's an amazing day it's amazing seeing all those kids who are so interested and keen in in what we're talking about and and what everyone's talking about and you make a good point i i think you probably went to st lawrence's yeah and had yeah i did terry and sue mcgoldrick as your ag teachers and i i credit the enthusiasm they had towards agriculture for for me being in this role because, yeah, we did cattle judging and cattle leading. That's right. It was just, yeah, such great fun and, and showed you that there is opportunities. Well, and the effort that they put in. Like you think about, you know, drag a car full of kids or a busload of kids. The bus usually broke down on the, the way to... Exactly right. Or the way home. Flat tire or whatever it was. <laughs> two or three trail loads of sheep, you yeah. know, one or two trail loads worth of sheep, whatever it may have been. And, I mean, they, you know, they were running their own farming enterprise. They are both teaching... The amount of weekends that they gave up for that, the amount of, you know, even like through the week they gave up for those sort of things. And, you know, for all of us, like we put on a young judge's day and we might have, you know, 150, 200 kids and go, oh, well, that's huge. Like it's a lot of effort, whatever, whatever. But you just look at the effort that other people put in and if we don't step up and do that as well, you're not going to get people like yourself that are passionate about, you know, the ag industry coming through, are you? Um, and it's just giving them the exposure, like showing them the variety of things that that the ag industry offers and for some kids just showing them where some of the products and things that they use in their daily life come from or, or the effort that goes into that, which I think is really important as well. So, yeah. yeah. And it must be working pretty well because I, I think last time we were talking you said it looks like Jack might be coming back to the farm. I'd lo- I'd love him to go and get a trade, but he is very passionate about it, and it's 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 something that he really wants to do. So we'll just see how the next twelve or eighteen months plays out. Yeah, I'd really love him to go and do something else for a little bit. I mean, I yeah, he does a tremendous amount of work like with me as it is, and yeah, he'll come home from school want to know what you've done, why you haven't got this done or that done. So, <laughs> and also, he's just at that age where he's yeah, he's. Well, I, I probably drove John mad too, bouncing ideas off him at different times, but he's just going, oh, you know, what if we did this? What if we did that? Which just shows that you're interested, that you you want to see that system develop as well, So, which is good to watch. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's really good. And he's, yeah, super handy. Like he sat on the, you know, weekend sat on the <laughs> tractor raking hay for me while I was doing something else. So, yeah, yeah. it's win-win for, for both of us. He gets to enjoy what he likes doing and. I get to get some stuff done while he's doing that. So yeah, yeah. but it's just exciting that he's um, he's interested in it. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty of days I drag him out where he's not that keen. But then there's other days where he's yeah, through the drought, like he 
he's seen it at its absolute worst and saw the amount of effort that went into, even though we got back to about 40% of our cow herd, he just saw the amount of work that that required. So he does know, you know. What's in front. What's in front of him. And in that time too, like he, he was... He was mountain biking at Tamworth, so there was through that time we were in Tamworth, you know, four out of six weekends. So, and that was part of the the deal. Like we would, we had to be at Tamworth at eight o'clock, so we'd either go and feed at five o'clock in the morning, or we'd go and do his training at Tamworth, and then come home and spend the afternoon feeding. So it, it was, you know, we we just had to fit it in with what he was doing. But when you got home, he was more than happy to jump in and. Yeah, I'd go one way and he'd go another way with another tractor and you get the job done. So, yeah. yeah. But so it's interesting that he's still, he hasn't just thrown his hands in the air and gone, oh, that's just too tough. Like it's just too much. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure at different points he's probably gone, why are we doing this? Yeah. Which we yeah. all did. But yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've actually been amazed how many kids came home from either uni or, or school through the drought passionate about agriculture and wanting to come back into agriculture even though they could see what was going on. We've been very lucky in this district over the last couple of years. We've had a heap of young people come home. Yeah. I think when I first when I came back to Kuna from uni, I think I was the only one from my class that that had come home and no one was coming back to to work on the family farm but it's there's been a real change over the last I don't know whether it's five or ten years but there's definitely been a a real change I think I think so too like I think you know like I left school and I worked with John you know while I was still at school sort of weekends holidays that sort of thing and then left school and started working there and there wasn't yeah I'd have to say like there wasn't a huge amount of young people in the industry then not like you go to other other regions within New South Wales and they've they've got, you know, two or three generations of families that are all working on farm. I, yeah, we don't have as much of that here, but we are getting, you know, another influx of people sort of our age that are coming back and, as you said, are passionate about it and yeah. bought country in the area or are managing places in the area like, you know, corporate farms but are making a huge difference while they're doing it. So, yeah, yeah. it is really good to see because, I mean, for this region, which is like we've – We've always had our droughts, dry times, whatever you want to call them, but in the time I've been involved with it, for most of them it was for 12 months or, you know, it might have been just over 12 months. So you generally had, you know, enough stored fodder to get through most or you might have sold a few cows just to make make it a little bit easier. But, you know, this last one was just the length of time, particularly for a region that's generally fairly safe. But it's interesting. I had a conversation with a fellow from Cooler there a little while ago and he said to me, he said, oh, it was only, you know, it was only sort of nine months for us. And I remember thinking to myself, like, gee, we must have been doing something wrong because, yeah, we generally did feed cattle for a, a very long time, even though we, you know, we had a progression of and a plan for, you know, selling down our numbers when we realised that yep. we were going to exhaust our resources because we'd actually gone into that dry time. We'd never had more fodder stored. Yeah, We had all our silos full. We had probably two and a half thousand round bars of hay. And and then I started thinking about his comment of nine months and I thought, yeah, well, you're probably right because that little area did pick up a couple of storms at the right time and I remember we were pretty jealous of that. Yeah. <laughs> For probably across the state it was like that. You know, there was little pockets that still had a dry time but just 
managed to get a bit of a reprieve here and there. But if you didn't happen to crack that, then you, yeah, you had a pretty long run. So yeah. from a management point of view, it didn't matter. You could be doing all the things, you know, pretty close to right or as well as you could with what you had to deal with. But, you know, it was still a very long haul. So as you said before, it's really good that we've got people coming back that have seen that yeah. and are still passionate about what they can do moving forward. So and I guess in some cases they've gone, well, we've got through that, you know, we know what we have to deal with. We'll just look to the better times and hope that we can make it work in both both sides of it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Jim. Thanks for your time today. Yep. Thanks yeah, very much, mate. Appreciate it. This episode was produced as part of Central West Local Land Services ADAPT project through funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.